What's up, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. It's so glad to be with you on a wonderful Wednesday. Yeah, it's hot. It's still, I mean, it's October 25th, man. Holy cow, it should be cooling off. Well, maybe over the weekend. Let's not have the Texans cool off, though. That would be kind of fun to keep them going and rolling and get the four and three with a win on Sunday against the Carolina Panthers. So we'll start to break it down. We're going to hear from some key people, including D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud. we got a little Texans audio jukebox a little later from the pressers today. We're also going to hear from Jimmy Ward doing a deep slant with D.P. Sidhu for the very first time. That's going to be a blast. we got a little in the lab with Drew Doherty. We're going to go men behind the mics with Anish Shroff. And that's going to be kind of an interesting one because... The two gentlemen that spend their Friday and Sunday with Andre Ware got a chance to talk today, and that's going to be awesome. Anish Shroff is a play-by-play man for the Carolina Panthers. Well, he does the Friday game in college football, and who's the game analyst for that game? Andre Ware. Who's our game analyst? Andre Ware. So, Mark Vandermeer caught up of Anish Shroff. I believe this is his first year, first or second year with the Panthers. Uh, so he will join us for Men Behind the Mics. So we got a lot to do, but we kick off every Wednesday show, as we should, with Executive Vice President of Football Ops and General Manager of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. Mark me, Nick, go. Visiting with us now in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, it's Executive Vice President and General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, back from the bye. How's it going? Fellas, good to be here. Ready it's to great, go. Great to be back in action. So what are some of the things we should look for coming out of the bye, things you have to be careful about, and things you benefit from after the bye? The big thing with the bye just enables you to kind of recalibrate collectively as a team. Players, coaches, staff take advantage of the handful of days that we had off um came back in the building you know monday had practice and really kind of get ready to go so you really go back into sort of regular season in season game week preparation kind of go through your process and really just take it one game at a time one week at a time so understand what we need to do each week relative to the opponent work on some of the things or incorporate some of the things that maybe we can incorporate that might enhance our overall ability as a team so essentially it's just a deep breath more than anything else you're not going to do anything drastically different so now it's just come back with the right mindset and the right mentality understand we have a pretty significant stretch of games in front of us nick i just outside looking in it feels like there's self-scout self-scout then you talked about going and seeing some of the college games it's kind of the the future of okay this is what we have now this is what the future could be so for you what was the bye week like and kind of merging those two kind of taking a look at where the team is where you know talking with D'Amico I know you talked about that last time you guys talked about some of the future things and and on to next year all that kind of stuff but how was the bye week for you from that perspective kind of looking at the team now and then looking at some future college prospects yeah you're always balancing I'd say a little bit of everything um so I think last week was really spent on kind of going through our team going through some of the things that happened the first six games starting to work on Carolina and then just taking the information in on some of the college prospects as well, which is part of kind of the weekly process. So I'd say in the short term, I'd say for the duration here, the primary focus will be on this season and this team. We'll kind of worry about next year relative to what that team's going to look like. Um, The trade deadline's coming up here, so there might be an opportunity to add a player that we feel can help our team. If there isn't, 
we feel comfortable with the players that are in the building. So there'll be some moving parts. And then once you get through the trade deadline, then essentially if you release a player, everybody goes through waivers. So if you're releasing players, kind of we talked about this a few weeks ago, moving guys on and off the roster, you might have to expose them a little bit more to the rest of the league. So um, I think the big thing will be week to week, what do we need to do, both from a personnel standpoint, who's available, do we have to go out and find a replacement player? And then while we're doing that, <clears throat> once we get into December, we'll kind of start our initial round of sort of draft meetings, which is really more of an informational meeting. Like, what do we need to find out about said prospects once January, February roll around? What can you tell us generally about how trade conversations take place? Because you don't know who's really available until you find out. Do you call them? Do they call you? I got to imagine it's a combination. But how do those go down, Nick? Yeah, it's really more of everybody's probably going to talk to everybody here at some point. Essentially we'll touch base with every team in the league. They'll reach out to us. Hey, what's going on? Is there any players that might be available? I think we've taken the standpoint, you know, we're not shopping any players. Mm -hmm. So you're just, if a, a team asks about said player, then we talk about it. What's our alternative? What's our option? If we move on from the player, if we keep the player. So it's very organic. Um, I would say there's no, I would say, template of how exactly it's going to go. I think towards the end of the week, you'll probably have an idea of, A, who's looking, B, who may be available, and there might be a match or might not be a match. So some of it, some of it will be relevant to us. Quite frankly, some of it won't be relevant to us. Mm -hmm. So just take the information in like we normally do and then just try to make a good decision based on where we are as a team. Nick, I'm sort of fascinated by that trade deadline because there are 31 other teams. You've been around the league, so you, you, you know, hey, this might, be, this might be the right guy to call. This might be the wrong person to call. How do you kind of know as you go through the trade deadline and, and just trades in general who the right people to call are? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's no certain people reach out or they know kind of how we operate and do business. Right. So they're not afraid to pick up the phone and vice versa. So if a team, a very specific team is looking for a specific player, then they're going to reach out or they may go through somebody in your personnel department. Right, right. Then an information eventually makes it to my desk. Right. And then we talk about it. Myself and Amico will talk about it. So um, some team, you know, you have certain relationships with right, certain right, people. So right. it kind of starts there just right. like anything else. Um, but I think people know kind of how we operate and that we're open, that we listen. doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to do anything, but that's part of our obligation yeah. and responsibility is to do that. So since it's been over a week since you played, what are some of the things that you're happiest with so far through six games as you embark on the final 11 here of the regular season and a couple of things maybe that you want to see done better overall? Yeah, when you look at just uh, the turnover margin, um, I think we're second in the league in terms of turnover margin. So it means we're not giving the ball to the other team and we're taking it away from the opponent. So, I mean, that's something when at the end of the year, when you look, the top teams in the league are going to be somewhere in the top mm -hmm. 10 or 12. So it just heightens the importance of the football. So I would say that's something hopefully we can continue that trend. I mean, offensively, just taking care of the football, putting a premium on ball security is absolutely paramount. And then improving, hopefully, some of the situational areas, specifically third down in the red area. We've kind of made some incremental progress in those areas. When you go back and look at the New Orleans game, kind of difference in the game ended up being a red area. So We've made some improvements, in them, but scoring and points will be at a premium. And some of the teams that we're playing here the next few weeks are some of the better teams in the red area. So our ability to score points and finish drives will, will be important. 
Um, and I'd say just overall team execution, um, and D'Amico has talked about this, just focus on the details of your job, of your specific assignment, and just every play understanding why it's important. It's not you can't take a play off or do it the right way one play and then the next play do it something different because you tried a different technique. If candidly, it's probably not going to work in our favor. So just the focusing on the details and the execution of your job and doing it consistently game after game, week after week, that's probably going to be a differentiating factor as we move forward. Okay. I've been over here itching, waiting for this. So it's time for the Carolina Panthers scouting <laughs> report. It's I, I have to – I just kind of get through the first few questions. Okay. Let's get down to Brax tax. It's the Panthers. Everybody knows they're 0-6. But, Nick, there's a lot there. There are a lot of players that have made uh, some really good football plays since in their career. Derek Brown up front, et cetera. What do you see with the Panthers? What's the scouting report on the Carolina Panthers? Yeah, a lot of good coaches. I mean, obviously a new staff. Um, I think the big thing offensively, and Coach Reich had alluded to this, they're going to kind of make a transition here from a play-calling perspective. You know, Thomas Brown, um, who has a background, you know, with the Rams, I would say system and offense. Thomas is a very bright young coach, um, has a good background. So, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see some of the things that they do offensively if they're going to be that drastically different. But um, you know, Bryce has played well. I think he's you know, been accurate with the ball for the most part. He's made good decisions, and the offense looks like it's continued to grow. So, um, and Thielen's having as good of a year yeah. as any receiver in the league. So it looks like that's been a pretty good acquisition and pickup. Um, they have some good skill players, kind of incorporating Mingo in a little bit. Who he took in a second round out of Ole Miss. Chenault's giving them some good plays with the ball in his hand. Now he got hurt um, either the Miami game or the yeah. week before. Um, so good set of skill players, the good backs, they've kind of had to deal with some injuries on the offensive line. Um, but Icky, you know, who they took last year in the first round has basically played every snap, um, since he's been selected and, you know, Mouton, uh, Mouton is good right tackle. So they've kind of had transition here a little bit on the offensive line. Um, and then defensively, I mean, everything starts with the front. I mean, everybody talks about Brown and Burns, which they should, the two arguably the best players at their respective positions in the league. Um, they've gotten really good production out of Luvu. Um, yep. kind of, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but he was in the line of scrimmage player with the Jets. Then he ended up in Carolina. He's created a lot of negative plays. So um, plays um, very physical, good blitzer. Um, you know, they lost Shaq, you know, Thompson, who's been a really good player for a long period of time. So KG's actually given us some snaps. Um, in the secondary, they've kind of had to deal with some injuries. I mean, Chin's been injured, JC's been, Horn's been injured. Um, so they've lost some guys, but they still have, you know, I would say, a good defense um, that presents some problems. And they're pretty good in the kicking game. I mean, good punter Hecker does a lot of things yep. well. Um, and Pinheiro's been a pretty consistent kicker. So they've played well um, at times in games. Um, you know, they're 0-6. I mean, their record is what their record is. But, I mean, I think that can be a little bit misleading. I mean, we certainly have some challenges that we're going to face here going into, um, you know, going into this week. Well, Thomas Brown, you mentioned him. And there's not a lot of time to revamp everything, but a little bit here and a little bit there can be very dangerous, right? That's going to be tough to figure out what he could possibly do. Yeah, you can't chase ghosts. I mean, you can kind of maybe look at a coach's history, maybe some of the things that they've done. And then once you get into the game, there's probably going to be an adjustment element. Maybe you see a little bit more of this, a little bit less of that. So the game may start to declare a little bit more about how they want to use their personnel. So that'll be the big thing to your point, Mark, you're not going to necessarily like wholesale change everything. So personnel, understanding the personnel, what the player's strengths and weaknesses are, are, and then how they're going to utilize them and deploy them. They may have something schematically that maybe they haven't shown, but it's not as if there's going to be a brand new offense. Maybe they, 
incorporate something that they haven't used previously. So some of that will be just adjusting and understanding the game, understanding the personnel, and then reacting to the situation um, as the game moves through, you know, the early part of the game. I'm not sure if you were aware of this, but this past offseason, there was a lot of talk about rookie quarterbacks in this particular town. So my assumption is that you did do some work on Bryce Young. What did you see from Bryce as a college prospect that he's now taking into his NFL game? What have you seen from Bryce thus far? Yeah, Bryce is a really instinctive player. I mean, he has a good understanding um, you know, of space of where to go with the football and his ability to sort of maneuver within the pocket. Probably a bit underrated. Um, he's accurate. He's anticipatory. Um, I think against whoever it was, I mean, he had, I think it was Minnesota, 18 completions in a row. So, I mean, you're certainly doing some things well. So I'd say Bryce has played pretty similarly to what he showed at, you know, Alabama. Um, he's starting to take a little bit better care of the football, which is always a big thing. Yep. Um, that's especially for younger players or you know, younger players at that position. So, um, Bryce is going to be a good player probably for a long period of time. So, um, yeah, we'll see kind of what it looks like on Sunday. I'll probably ask you this again in March, but it was the bye, so I watched college and pro football till my retinas almost burned out. I didn't, but uh, I watched more baseball than I did probably football. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I did that too. Yeah. Uh, but when you're looking at college football, Nick, I'm watching these games and I'm thinking, can you give me a couple of the things that are really hard to judge as they translate to the pro game? I'm watching the speed differential – the wideness of the hash marks, and it just looks like a different sport sometimes when you're watching college football. There's just more space. Again, yeah. the field's the field, but yeah. the hash marks are legitimate. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you're playing on a near hash, you're pretty much on a boundary and the sideline's <laughs> right there. So there's just more space that you have to, I would say, handle or defend on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't want to say that, a lot of offenses incorporate some of the RPO elements, but, I mean, a lot of offenses that you watch incorporate that. Um, even a team like Michigan, who I think kind of gets pigeonholed as a running team, um, they use 11 personnel, They, you know, 11 and 12 personnel. They have a good offensive line. So I think the space element, you're starting to see, you've seen those concepts kind of filter into the NFL game. And so that is not as big of an adjustment for a player in terms of understanding that that concept in that particular play, but the space is absolutely you know a factor. Um, so it's interesting. It looks like there's been pretty good defensive play in college football this year. Mm -hmm. So I think you're getting more athletic, more uh, you know faster players. Does the clock help with that ball. too? As far as the defensive performance of the teams, the the quicker clock in college football, maybe to a degree, uh, possibly. So mm -hmm. ultimately, it comes down to your ability to execute, um, yeah. your ability to keep the other team out of the end zone and limit the points. Right. Um, and it looks like some of the teams that are at the top um, in the rankings there have been able to do that. Um, you know, start with Georgia, Ohio State, Penn State. I mean, I know you know. Well, Ohio State and beating Penn State there, but you're pretty good on defense. You know, Michigan's good on defense. Alabama, I would say, even though they lost a number of players, is still good on defense. So um, it's always an interesting year in college football. Kind of starts to take shape right about now, mm -hmm. and you're starting to see some things. So um, it's always good to kind of look. We're looking at it. You know, we're peeking at it on a pretty regular basis. We have scouts going into schools every week, so they're cognizant of some of the things that are going on, maybe some of the things that we might be able to incorporate, we might be able to utilize, and just understanding how that game is being played. And when we get them here, again, you're not going to necessarily like – they're not starting from 
completely from scratch, but there's going to be an adjustment period that the player is going to have to go through. Nick, as I thought about this team, and we've thought about this team, sitting at 3-3 three and three at the bye and the trade deadline, we talked about that a little bit. How much of what the team has done to this point, whether it's record or what you just see from the progress of rookies, you know, talking about college football, changes your thought process as you look at the trade deadline? I mean, do you... Do you take that into account? I mean, or if you get an offer that's just, man, this is too good. We just have to take this offer. How do you kind of look at where the team is kind of record-wise, what the expectations were of the team, where you want it to go, and the trade down? How can you marry all those if that makes any sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. You try not to let one particular thing or a record cloud your judgment and your decision-making. So whatever the situation is, whatever gets presented, take the information and go through your, you know, decision-making process and just in the end try to make a good decision for the football team. So uh, you're balancing short-term and potentially some longer-term ramifications as well. So you try not to let one or two factors impact something directly. I think everybody wants to connect the dots. Well, if A, then automatically B. Not necessarily the case. So candidly, I think there's a little bit more talk than there needs to be about the trade deadline. Right. And it gets built up in a little bit of a hype cycle. So it's just a point in time. It's a finite point in time. You kind of know when you have the ability to move players across teams. If that doesn't work, well, you still have the waiver wire. You still have the ability to acquire players from another team's practice squad. So there's still opportunities to add players to your team. So it's always at what cost, what are you giving up, what are you getting in return, and how much of a difference is that decision going to make both now and potentially in the future. Nick, uh, Carolina, how important is it to ignore a team's record in general here? Because you look at the weekend, you see one win New England, what they did to Buffalo. You see one win Chicago, what they did to the Raiders. And now you go into Carolina and you have a similar situation, I guess, with a team that doesn't have a good record, but they've got players. And that happens every week in this league. Absolutely, Mark. You couldn't have articulated any better. I mean, each week is its own week. So you can't worry about what happened in the past. You can't worry about what's going to go on in the future. Focus on that team each week. And if you do the things that are conducive to winning, you're going to be in a good spot. If you don't, you're going to potentially put your team in a position where you're going to come out you know, on a wrong end of it. And then, you know, you're obviously want a positive outcome. So essentially you have to throw the records out the window. I mean, it's just, here's where the team is, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to play a certain way or they're going to play to that record. It just means, well, here's where they are for this point in time. We can't worry about that. We have to focus on our team, our execution, our preparation, putting in a good week work, a good week's worth of work, and then go out there on Sunday and we have to execute. And if we execute better than the other team, then we're going to be happy. And if we don't, then you know we're going to be sitting here next week and we're probably going to be disappointed. So, I mean, records you got to throw them out the window because they really don't matter. It's just really about where are you that particular week and focus on that week and who the opponent is. This league is too competitive. There's too many good players. There's too many good coaches, and everybody has the same opportunity each week. So that's why your your focus is so short-term in nature because you can't really worry about what happened before or after because ultimately you don't control it. Nick, each Sunday I ask you, keys to win, offense, defense, special teams were the keys to the win. Step back and look at what are the keys over the final 11 weeks of the year for this team? Not a specific opponent. I'll ask you about that on Sunday. But what's the keys in all three phases over the next 11 weeks? Yeah, I'd say number one, stay healthy. You know, yeah. Try to keep as many of your good players on the field as possible. Number two, try to execute and be consistent on a week-to-week basis. Kind of stay away from the peaks and valleys. And then just 
still look for improvement. There's ways that you can continually improve your team, even if it's on the margin. So if you break the season up kind of into quarters, so we've kind of gone through a quarter and a half, if you will. All right, we're going to play a few more games, finish the second quarter, and then we still are going to have another eight, nine games in front of us. So you're always looking for improvement. You're always looking for consistency. And D'Amico's talked about this extensively. Just each day, focus on the details of your job, going out there and just do your job. Focus on the things that you can control understand the opponent, and then let Sunday kind of take care of itself. The work that you put in during the week hopefully is going to help you on Sunday. So I think if you if our team keeps that thought process and that mindset, again, I know nobody really wants to hear this, but the process is as important as anything else. So if you have yep. a good process and you're consistent over the course of time, hopefully that leads to good results. Yep. I mean, even if you have a good process and you have a good week, you might end up on the you know losing end of the ledger. I mean, that's going to happen. That's part of the NFL. But understand what happened. What do we need to do to improve it? What do we have to do to make sure we prevent that from happening? And as long as the players understand that and are diligent about their pro- their process and their work, then you know we'll be in decent shape. All right. Very important. Next week, it's Halloween. Least favorite holiday. Yeah, I know you have <laughs> you have young kids though, and this has Super they Bowl do. level importance to kids. Absolutely. We all know no, that. We, believe me, we have more candy and more costumes. Yeah, and mm-hmm. we've already had more discussions about mm-hmm. it. Oh, yeah. I try to stay out of those discussions. So, <laughs> all right. So, when was the last time you wore a costume, Holy and what cow. was it? And give me a couple of your favorite from when you were a kid. In Ohio, trick or treating. What was Nick Casario for Halloween? Okay, I the last time I wore a costume, and it really was a fake costume, was probably when my wife and I were dating. I think I dressed up as like a pilot or something like that, and I just put a short sleeve shirt, you know, with the pin. Didn't really have to do anything else. Yeah, yeah. So that was about the extent of it. Um, when I was a kid, I think I was a traditional, and I'm, I pictured my mom showed me the picture, football kind of player, yeah. mm-hmm. and I didn't have my front teeth, so I have this massive picture of me smiling without my teeth. So, um, And you're wearing? Uh, I think, I, what was I wearing? <laughs> I'd have to look at the picture, but I think I, whatever the team was, with that Hutch oh, series, okay. I think yeah, we yeah, all yeah. have those Hutch yeah, yeah. kind of jerseys, Absolutely. plastic helmets, which mm-hmm. there's really not helmets. Yep. It's basically yeah. put a piece, a piece of plastic on not your head. Not good for the protocol. Nope. No, not at all. That would not make it through. <laughs> So, and then, you know, candy corn you know, would be in the um, in a basket there. Well, so that's controversial. Yes. Yeah. So you're pro candy corn. Uh, I'd say I'm maybe probably not, middle of the now. road, but maybe okay. more pro than Snickers or something else. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. That's good. Because that's a definite <laughs> controversial topic. It is. Candy, candy corn. Is candy corn. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, I guess I lean a little bit more in favor if yeah, I had yeah, to make I'm a choice. Favor. I'm okay with it. I'm in favor. All right, Nick. Good luck. Thanks a lot. Thanks, fellas. All right. Great stuff there. From Nick Casario, and we did a lot of talk about the trade deadline, Mark, with Nick, and I don't think he got upset by it. I do think it's a pretty interesting topic, uh, to be honest with you. Like, yeah. what's going to happen with the trade deadline? And, of course, it's Halloween, so that makes it kind of fun. And you hear all kinds of rumors and various things. And one thing I read from Diana Rossini this weekend, she was kind of doing a little blurb for a lot of the teams, and she said, expect the Texans to be quiet. And I'm like, whenever I feel that way, I feel like yeah. something's about to happen. I feel like Let's something's about that. to happen. But I'm not going to get overly upset or not if they don't or what. But I feel like this could be an interesting trade deadline, no matter what happens for the Texans. So what is the most significant trade deadline trade in Ooh. recent franchise history? Uh, Demarius Thomas, right? That's got to be it, right? That's got to be significant it. in 2018, and they got him right before they went to Denver. 
And he <laughs> right. against Denver on the opening drive, caught a couple of passes and his big giant picture was up there as they honored him. But was that right after a game before the deadline? In other words, was that between the Sunday before the trade deadline and the deadline itself? Or was that a week out? I can't remember. Well, exactly. I, I remember it. I remember it distinctly because it was a Thursday night and we're playing Miami and we mm. are putting it on yeah. Miami. We're putting it on Miami in a big way. Yep. And then in the fourth quarter, Will Fuller, open downfield, gets yanked to the ground by Bobby McCain. And he limps off. And I remember being in the locker room, and I saw John Perry, wide receivers coach. And I saw that look. I've seen that look. And I went, John, tell me. And he just looked at me and went, and he shook his head. And uh -huh. I was like, oh, so that was on a Thursday and the trade deadline was Tuesday. And so it was over that particular weekend that they were able to get it done. And it just so happened that after the mini buy, we had uh, we had Demarius Thomas come in and play against his former team, the Denver Broncos. So that's the one that that stood out to me the most. In 2019, you had made all your trades at the beginning of the year. Yeah, so you, yeah. didn't, you didn't have any more trade assets. But if I remember right, in 2019, there still was a there still was a Gary and Conley trade. I remember that. Oh, um, right. I don't know. That was close to the trade deadline. I don't know if it was at the trade deadline, but it was pretty close. Yeah. And then you look at 2021, there was a lot of buzz externally about a Watson trade possibility right before the deadline. Maybe the Eagles yep. or whoever the buzzed teams were, but that obviously didn't happen. So with this. My, my point is this, uh, should you create a need or a need get created from whatever happens on Sunday? Please, no. No needs created in whatever happens on Sunday at Carolina. Right. But do you have also a chance to make yourself better in a position group where you feel like we can get a whole lot better here? We got a deal that we could possibly do. That's why we asked Nick the question of how do you sort of sift through that preliminary conversations taking place. Well, we might want to pull the trigger on this. Let's just take a few days to think about it. I know the player might be gone, but maybe we're okay with him being gone or maybe not. So there are a lot of things happening behind the scenes. Uh, I don't know how she got that, Johnny. I wonder where D Diana Rossini got it. I like her a lot. I interviewed her at the yeah, meeting we put that on the air. I like her a lot. Did she hear from an agent? Did she hear from somebody in the building? We don't have too many leaks. I don't think we have any leaks here anymore. I don't think anything right. gets leaked here that's not sort of intentionally leaked, if you know what I mean. So right. who knows where that came from? But maybe it came from an agent who's who heard that, nah, Texans aren't doing anything, or from another team that heard that from Nick. But come on. You'll always do something if it's the right thing for your franchise right. or if somebody blows you away. But we could speculate all day long. doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it it doesn't matter. It's just fun. It's fun to think about. I know um, as I was kind of driving around around lunchtime and John and Landry were talking about Chase Young of the Commanders. And, you know, there, that that kind of got brought up in and around draft time um, mm. about Chase Young. The the hard part back then was, well, you, he hasn't played and you don't know if he's fully healthy. Right. Well, he's come back this year with a vengeance. He's got five sacks already. And, you know, you start thinking about, oh, man. I think what's interesting and what's fun about this football team now, Mark, is when you look at something like that, you look at a trade, you start thinking about, man, you're adding a piece like that to this team already. Man, yeah. what could this end up looking like? And, you know, you just your brain goes to a million different spots like, oh, man, you put Chase Young with Will Anderson, John Grenard, and holy cow, it gets really interesting really fast. 
Um, but it's obviously it's speculation. It's it's definitely fun to talk about. Um, but one thing that's not speculation, Mark, and get your thoughts on this. We talked about, you know, guys, you know, when you're coming off the bye week, you know, who who can you get back, you know, from injury or suspension or whatever? And the Texans haven't had a suspension situation, but there's a possibility. In fact, he returned today, and that was Hassan Ridgeway. Now, I didn't like seeing Sheldon Rankins on the injury report nope. being out. Didn't like seeing that um, at all. Uh, with out of DNP. practice. We want to be clear. Out of practice. Out of practice. Yeah. We don't know Correct. if it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. D- DNP for practice today. I didn't like seeing that because I thought Sheldon played his guts out uh, against the Saints and played extremely well. But you know how I feel about some size, about size on the inside. And Hassan Ridgeway has that. That is a large individual who can move, who has some twitch. I was very, very happy to see Hassan Ridgeway back at practice today. Yeah, with a calf, he's out. Well, he's been out, but he's limited today with a calf. You have two more days of practice. What does Dr. Vandermeer think of this? I yes. think it looks pretty promising unless he aggravates that. And calves are tricky. Yes. We've talked about this many times. It's a tricky injury. Got to be very careful with this. So let's hope that he feels really good after practice and the same thing tomorrow and the next day and he can go. Because if Rankins can't go, you know, I don't like it at all if either guy, if both guys can't go. I mean, that's just stinks for your run defense. And you have an opportunity here to really make some hay with that front seven, that front six, seven that you want to throw at them. So let's hope that at least one of those two players can go. And obviously Malik and the rest of them, but you're right. If you lose both of those guys, you get smaller, thinner. It's just not as good. We know that we know it's a rotation anyway, numerous players cycle in there, but I love seeing Ridgeway available at practice today, at least on a limited basis as well. You know, Marcus, I start diving into the Panthers over the last couple of days. I do an article, and it'll, it'll post probably in the, in the morning, and you guys can check it out. I post my keys in an article called Know Your Foe. And as I was going through, one of the things that I do in an article is I go through the starting lineups and who are the key players for offense and defense. Mark, this is the hardest I've ever had to do. I don't know how long I've been doing this article. It's the hardest I've ever had to do to try and figure out who's starting and who's playing for the Panthers due wow. to the injury issues that they have had at, at, at pretty much every trench position, mm-hmm. um, offense and defense. I mean, trying to figure out, okay, Derek Brown, Brian Burns, count on it. But, you know, they've been banged up at other spots. Linebacker Frankie Luvo has got a hip injury, but he's playing through it. The secondary is completely banged up. I mean, it is a, it's a mess. They got Von Bell back for a little bit. Xavier Woods back for a little bit. Um, but last week they played, they, they had a practice squad call up, Matthias Farley, who we, we have played a number of times nice. over the years with the Colts and, and others. He was starting for the Panthers last week against the Miami Dolphins. So they've got injury issues. Terrace Marshall has been told he can seek a trade if he wants. So it was one of the hardest. Okay, who's starting for the Panthers on Sunday. So I know I'm going to have to spend some work giving you the starting lineups on Sunday because it's been tough to try and figure out. And that's part of the reason why I think they're 0-6. So many guys have been banged up uh, throughout this year. It's been hard to figure out what 
and how they'll look on Sunday against us. They cannot sing the blues to the Houston Texans, though, about injuries, right? Their quarterback right. stayed healthy. The Texans quarterback has stayed out there and fought through some injury issues as well. We all know what's happened on the O-line. We all know what's happened with Tank Dell, who's thankfully back this week. Johnny, that's such a game changer as well. Oh, you have Dell Absolutely. back coming out of the bye. And I think both teams, I know the injuries are an issue with them, especially this week. But you have both teams coming out of the bye. There's extra juice both sides of the ball with each squad. But with Tank back and Nico, and you're talking two of the top 10 players in the league in yards per catch, and let's go. Remember this receiver group coming into the season. What's going to happen with them? Well, let's see what happens. You know, we don't know. And then what we do know is they look pretty good right now. They, yep. Robert Woods, by the way, on the injury report today with a foot feet and hands are very popular among body parts to be injured by your Houston Texans woods with a foot Hutchinson with a foot Jordan with a foot. And then you have a full participation day out of Titus Howard, Josh Jones, Denzel Perriman and Tavier Thomas hand, 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 hand. Those guys all have hands. It's a weird year this way, but you know. feet, hands, ankles, toes, ankles, yeah. toes. I mean, it's you know, it sounds like a child song to be honest with you. Now, a guy that was back and has been back for a few weeks, who has been absolutely fantastic, is Jimmy Ward, and he sat down for a deep slant interview of the week. That's next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. Let's dive right back into a deep slant with DP Sitter. It's Jimmy Ward for the very first time. Check it out. It's a deep slant 101 presented by Xfinity and my guest this week. Jimmy Ward, number one. Number one in our hearts, number one on the field. Uh, year 10 for you, Jimmy. First of all, how was your bye week? Bye week was great. <sighs> Caught up on some rest. Got to see some friends and family. And I watched a lot of film. And you watched a lot of film. You're so humble because I knew exactly where you were in the bye week. You went back home to Mobile, Alabama. Oh, yes. Went Got your back. number retired, your jersey retired. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that. How did that happen? It took them 10 years to do it. <laughs> but you've been out of high school longer than 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, though. I appreciate it. Uh, shout out to W.P. Davidson High School. But uh, W.P. Davidson High School. Yes, uh -huh. I got my jersey, 46 retired, along with my fellow ex-teammate, Jaquasi Tart. Okay. He wore number six in high school, and they did a ceremony before the game. It took probably like 15 to 20 minutes. I got to flip the coin. Got oh, nice. to see the new studs in high school play ball, and my day, my high school definitely got to win. Yes, and you're like a good luck charm for them. Oh yeah, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. All right, so you went back to your old high school. Are there any other famous uh, alumni whose numbers are retired there? Uh, probably AJ McCarron. Uh, oh, maybe okay. Solomon Thomas. I mean Solomon Patton. Probably Justin Fowler from Viger. Probably Mark Barron. He went to St. Paul's along with A.J. McCarron. I, I, I A.J. McCarron was here for a minute. I can't yeah. remember if he got it retired while he Probably was with the Texans. T.J. Or... Yeldon from uh, oh, yeah. High School. Maybe Julio Jones. From... Maybe. I'm like, Julio Jones is <laughs> I like keep, I can keep naming it. It's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of uh, Wow, that's, all, that's NFL, really good NFL company NFL. that you keep. There's a lot of numbers that can't be worn anymore, it sounds like. Yeah. W.P. Davidson. All right, so you were born in Wisconsin. You went mm -hmm. to high school in Alabama, mm -hmm. went to college in northern Illinois. So, like, what's considered home for you, like, outside of playing football? I would say Mobile, Alabama. Mobile. Racine, Wisconsin feels like home. Chicago, Illinois feel like home. Uh, been in Cali for nine years. Uh, I'm not going to say I feel like home, but I'm familiar with that area, Bay Area. Okay. But in Houston, Texas, oh. 
How do you like Houston? Man, I love Houston. Yeah. yeah I love Houston. I would think it's weird that you played your entire career with one team, mm-hmm. which is, like, unusual anyway in the NFL. And then, like, you're a 10-year veteran, but you're almost, like, starting all over again in a new city. Like, what was that whole process like for you? It was new. Definitely. I had to get used to the heat. Obviously, oh, I for feel, sure. I feel like yeah. you never get used to the heat. It's like I used to you, play with it when I was young, play like in the heat. But now compared to when I'm old and I'm like, <laughs> in my 30s, like ah, it, it took it took some adjustment. It took some time. Because Mobile is not like as hot as Houston, I would imagine. I thought it was hot. It's pretty hot, but not like this. Yeah, no. Nah, this was, like this. It was, it was a crazy summer, though, with all the 100 degree temps in training camp. Keep hearing about that, but like, I, don't I know. thought it was hot, and I've lived here for a minute, so seems like the norm here. Mm. All right, I was looking at some of your old highlights. Your first career interception, Jay Cutler in Chicago, 2015, and I what I loved about this play was your celebration. <laughs> Do you remember what you did? <laughs> Hit a front flip. You did a front moment. flip, yeah. Yeah. Do, uh, in the moment, you're like, "This is what I'm going to do," or I've been thinking about this when I get my first interception. It's going to be something gymnastics-y. It just happened. It just, oh, organic. I, yeah, I was I was very <laughs> excited. I just wanted to look. I kind of, when I, as I flipped, I jumped, and I was smiling. I was looking at Jake. So. <laughs> <laughs> he had that smirk on that he always had when he throw an interception. He just. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You played against a lot of great players in your 10-year career. Anyone that really stands out to you or that you, like, really had fun battling against? Larry Fitzgerald. Oh, Larry Fitzgerald, of course. Such yeah, a competitor. Like some, I'm, man, I hit him so many different ways, and he got up. I'm, I actually, I want to say, I, I tore some in his knee one time. And he finished the game, and they ended up winning. Wow! Like Larry Fitzgerald is just, oh my god, he's such a great player, and obviously he's gonna go in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I got so much respect for the guy. Did you guys talk like at all during the game, like a little trash talking, or is he pretty quiet? No, he talks. But he just give you compliments. Oh, like what did he say to you? No, he just water you down for you don't hit him as hard. You know, you feel <laughs> you're like, man, I don't want to hit this guy. He's but so nice. I'm still, yeah. Oh, I'm still going. You're still going to hit him. Okay. But that's his game, though. He's like, oh, man, interesting. Man, good to see you, man. Hey, man, I ain't seen you in a long time. I mean, you're a great player. That's how you water you down at the beginning. Like, how of am I going to hit you? Yeah, but that's that's his game. Yeah. That's how you get in your head. And then next thing you know, he get catch a, a hundred yards on you 10 re, uh, re, uh, receptions and run you over He's so like, you're great you're doing great and tell you you're doing <laughs> great <laughs> you have so much natural energy i think it was one of the first things i noticed when you came in here you did your press conference i think i even tweeted it was one of the most entertaining press conferences like in free agency that i'd seen you were like whispering and you were like it's like you're telling everybody a secret you were just so engaging and energetic and I like I was just wondering have you always been like that or is that just being in the league so many years like what is your where does that come from I think it's a little bit of both you know I kind of like maybe you were just born like that you were just like always super like love talking very energetic yeah but I kind of hit it at the beginning of you know my career uh and then really yeah until I just I met a few older players and you know and then especially my close friends like hey man bro you you need to just be yourself. Like I know. How you do you hide? How do you hide you? I don't know, you just don't. You just don't say that much. And then it's just, I wasn't comfortable. It's mm. it was in Cal. It was in Cal. was in California. San Fran was rebuilding. Yeah. You know everything was serious. Every every you know we was we was losing. Uh, so nobody, everybody's job was on the line. I'm just saying, even sure. if you're winning, your job still yeah. on the line. Yeah. Yeah. But still, it's just you're a new player. It was just a very toxic environment when I got to California. So, you know, I was just trying to find my way. So. 
after a while, we started winning. and Coach Like little Kyle, by little, Jimmy yeah, started coming out? Or was it like, bam? Coach Kyle. Shout out to Coach Kyle Shanahan. He helped me bring oh, my, okay. He, he just helped me be myself and ever since then, you know. So you proceeded him, to be you, and you yeah. were like, it's cool. I can be myself, and it's fine. I can fine. be myself, and people love it. You love it or hate it, you know? I love seeing you and Jalen Petrie together. I feel like you guys are just like a perfect match because he's got a lot of energy. He's a big talker. You come in, you're a big talker. What's it been like? I feel like and it took a while to get both of you guys on the field together yeah. and healthy. But now that you guys are out there together, what's that been like for you? Oh, it's, it's, it's cool, man. It's just oh, both of us just know how to work together. Uh, like if I have a down play, you know, he always has some type of motivation, words, uh, words of wisdom to come up and uh, pick me up or pick the guys up and vice versa. If like he have a down play or a play that he's not too proud about, I come over there and I tell him some wise words. So it's just like just us complimenting each other game and just, you know, helping the team. Like I make plays, he make plays. So and then he's he's a big hitter and I feel like I'm a big hitter too. So love having him out there. I feel like he talks more than me too. You like, think he smack. talks more than you? Smack. He does talk a lot of smack. Smack. But when it? you two were together, like especially in camp, I was like I'm not really sure who's doing more. You guys were both chattering a lot, but Oh yeah, no, we we're, we're definitely You're talking. both together. Oh, you think he's yeah. the bigger talker? No, yeah, he's definitely the bigger talker. I can talker. see that. Mm -hmm. He called you the Apex Predator. Did you know that? That that's his nickname for you? Oh no, I didn't. <laughs> Several no, I didn't weeks ago. He, and I had to look up what an Apex Predator was, like the official definition. Um an apex predator known as a top predator is a predator at the top of a food chain without a natural predator of its own. What do you think about that? Uh, like, he, you're at the top of the food chain. He's like, there's nobody hunting for Jimmy Ward. Like, I mean, Jimmy yeah. Ward is the, pre the apex predator. It's, it's a few. I got a few battles of a few guys that's on different teams that uh, – Probably got me on a hit list. Probably <laughs> Diggs from Buffalo Bill. Oh, okay. Uh, probably uh, uh, AJ Brown from Philadelphia. I don't know if I ever play him again. Like every dog has a day. So yeah. Um, one thing about it, I'm the hitter. You know. Yeah. So you know, you they catch balls. I, I get to hit you. You I get to hit you. Catch yeah, the interception, but I'd rather hit you. You know, I'd rather inflict pain. Yeah. Makes me I, feel better. Makes you feel better. <laughs> and you can compliment them. What mm -hmm. about Jalen? Do you have a nickname for him? Oh, the same. He's the same. He's the way. same. Yeah. Local. You guys are very two peas in a pod, Crazy. I feel like. Yeah. He talks about it, talks smack to you before. I don't know. I just, I, just, I like I like him. Like, Jalen, Jalen. Jalen's very likable. Like yeah. He's yeah. pretty cool. He smiles. He's passionate about football. He loves football. I couldn't ask for a better teammate. Yeah, and you this year, like your first year with the Texans, you get voted team captain, which I think says a lot about just you as a player that you come in a new team and the players voted you as a team captain. What, like, well, how does that make you feel just being in a new team in a new setting? You know, just the fact that you come in here and and they've given that to you. Well, I was surprised. You were? Yeah, I'm saying I, talk. I was like, I don't know what's happening in the locker room. You must like you have I obviously talk and I, I just, yeah, I speak to everybody. This uh -huh. is I am. I just speak to everybody. And I try to get to know everybody. And really, I was just basically doing my job. Came to OTAs, you know, try to just get familiar, try to get me a routine, get familiar with the coaches and the players, and just, you know, try to build me up a routine. Um, didn't think they was going to vote for me because, you know, I heard a few guys talking, and I kind of just chilled. You know, I let them until, you know, because I wasn't used to, you know, used to the, the guys yet. And then yeah. uh, JG ended up asking me, coach ended up calling on me to, to you know, talk. And I was like, Okay, so end up giving no breaking down the team, breaking down the, the team, yeah. At the OTAs, at the practice, or at the like uh, uh workouts in the weight room. And okay, Jonathan like, Grenard had you. Yeah, okay. probably like 
four or five times I did it. and You, you must know, have impressed it. everybody with, yeah. Maybe, but I, I was happy. I was honored. You know, it's an honor, definitely. Who, who's your locker next to you? Because I know in the locker room, all the lockers are sort of mixed up. It's not offense and defense. Or... Well, it's, it's nobody on the right side of me. That's an empty locker. But right next to the empty locker is Robert Woods. Okay. And to the left of me is Sting. And to the left of him is Shaq Mason. So okay. You guys are like those, all like Sort of the up. guys I talk to the most since they're we're, we're kind of like locker mates. Yeah. Do you like that sort of setup in the locker room? Is just really does that help you get to know everybody a little bit better? Yeah, off the field? You know, yeah. not just sitting all the DBs by the DBs, O line by the O line. Now we get to talk to everybody. So I like how how he did. It's kind of set up. This how San Fran did it. You know, you got you know, mix it up. One, I know one side. One time uh, I was on San Fran team when I first got there. It was like defense on one side, offense on that side. And once Coach Kyle came in there. Like now, nah, you know what? Let's just mix it up and you know, uh, and sit everybody by somebody a different position group, and I, I like it. Yeah, you start to get to know uh, your teammates better. That's the first time I've seen it, and we've seen some coaches here, but usually that's how it is: offense, defense, position groups together. So it's kind of interesting. You walk in, and then you've got DBs next to wide receivers, next to O linemen. Um, what about on Sunday? You're going to play Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. What do you think about uh, him, rookie quarterbacks? Just you know, what what is that like for you? Is that different? Do you like it better facing a guy for the first time, especially a guy that's, you know, come out as such a highly touted draft pick? I'm familiar with his game. I was raised in Alabama, so I watch Alabama football. I feel like he's a pretty good quarterback. You know, he's going to be good and uh, continue to be good in years to come. Uh, just got to – he's young right now, so um, he makes some great throws. He kind of has a crazy quick game release, which is so crazy. It's not oh. the typical – quick game, like, three-step that you would normally see. He kind of walks out of it and throws it. It's crazy. <laughs> okay. But he gets the ball out. He's yeah. very accurate. No, so I, I like him. He has some tools. He doesn't really run. If he runs the ball, he's really looking to throw. So I really like his skill sets. I like how he sling the ball. Uh, he got some playmakers around him. It's going to be uh, it's gonna be an interesting game. Looking forward to playing him for the first time because I actually watched him in college. So Oh, okay, yeah, because yeah. – Alabama connection. Mm-hmm. How about for you for the rest of the year? You got 11 games left. I mean, this team is, you know, people are talking about this team differently than they were in the offseason. Now it's, you know, a very different mindset with a three and three record. What about for you personally? Like, how do you sort of maintain what this defense has been able to do through the first six games? Really just take one day and one week at a time. You know, you really can't look ahead in this game. You know, things change in this game fast. Like, oh, um, I don't witness teams that went 0-5 and, and next thing you know went 10 straight. I don't see teams go 8-0 and and next thing you know they just start losing and miss the playoffs. So, <laughs> like, I've seen so much football and so much change just, you know, in, in my 10 years of playing NFL ball that you just – you really can't get too high and you can't get too low in this game. You just got to remain humble and just, you know, continue to take, you know, take it by week by week. There he is, Jimmy Ward, not on the injury report. Who is? We'll do that next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporters. Jumping in this injury report, not horrible, but a couple of big names with DMPs on Wednesday. Sheldon Rankin's dealing with a knee. We talked about that a little bit with Mark earlier. Robert Woods with a foot. They were DNPs. Now, limited participants, Xavier, Xavier Hutchinson, Brevin Jordan, both with feet. Issues. Not, I know they have feet. Uh, Larry Tunsil with a knee. He was a limited participant, but he was there. Jimmy Ward, who you heard earlier, not injury-related. He gets a rest a day. But also Hassan Ridgeway with a calf. Man, that was such good news. Now, on the well, in the full participation, 
Blake Cashman, Tank Dell, Titus Howard, Josh Jones, Denzel Perriman, Tavier Thomas, all full participants, all great news. Now, on the Panthers side, some big lists for DMPs. Ab Thielen, Justin Houston, Vets, Rest Days, Belavisca Chenault, Steven Sullivan, Von Bell, all key to the Panthers, all DNPs. Keep it on the offensive line. Taylor Moton, a knee. Austin Corbett, also a knee. They were limited participants. And Xavier Woods, at least the Panthers are excited to get him back. He has a hamstring. Oh, boy. The Panthers are banged up. Eh, Texans aren't perfect either. So we'll get it on on Sunday. And when we do, it'll be these two men behind the mics calling the game. And he's Shroff for the Panthers. And you know our guy, Mark Vandermeer. That's next on Texans All Access. We got one hour down, one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And this is always one of my favorite segments. You know that. This is a segment I came up with probably about eight or nine years ago. And I said, hey, Mark, you know what would be good? Is if you sat down and chopped it up kind of scouting report style with the voice from the other team. He loved the idea, and it's been great. So this week, it's a little different in some sense because the two men you will hear are the play-by-play voices for Andre Ware when he does a game. Andre calls college football on Friday nights with Anish Shroff, and then on Sundays, he calls Texas football and has from the beginning with Mark Vandermeer and, of course, me. So here we go, Anish Shroff with Mark Vandermeer. Let's learn a little bit more about the Panthers with our men behind the mics right here. All right, joining us now on Texans Radio, it's Anish Shroff, voice of the Carolina Panthers and also ESPN, and he works with Andre Ware. So I don't know if I should be jealous or what. I mean, it's like we share the same partner. We do share the same partner on the air. Anish, how's it going, my friend? Yeah, it's very polygamous, huh? Yeah, <laughs> true. Before we get into the Panthers, working with Andre, I think this is your first year doing it. So what's that like for you? Because I've been doing it for 22 years. You know, I want to bash him, but he's great. He's great. He, he sees the game really well. Having played quarterback, um, you know, there's just an added level uh, of focus and detail that, that he picks up that a lot of analysts don't. So makes my job a whole heck of a lot easier when – uh, he's picking up on a lot of the little nuances, and especially when it comes to quarterback play, which, as we know, that rules the roost. That's what everybody wants to hear about, and, and he's able to pick up uh, little things that these guys can do uh, uh, that makes the difference on a micro and a macro level. So I've had a lot of fun working with Andre. Anish Schropp joining us, voice of the Carolina Panthers. And before we get into it again, what about travel as voice of the Panthers between your ESPN games and the Sunday NFL stuff. You guys are doing Friday nights now, so that's really convenient. But have you had any close calls throughout your career? Well, you know, this is my second year with the Panthers. So mm-hmm. last year I was on Saturdays, and there were probably about a half dozen weekends where I'm flying out Sunday morning to a game. There were a couple of times last year, two or three occasions, where I would do a 7 p.m. game Saturday, get on a plane at uh, 5 a.m. Sunday morning to do a one o'clock game on Sunday. And mm. it's not even the sleep. It's not the lack of sleep. It's the travel anxiety, just getting to the airport, keeping your fingers crossed that your plane is going to go. And if it doesn't, that you've got multiple backup options to get to where you need to be. It's the anxiety of travel more than the actual travel itself. So who would fill in for you if you did not make it to the Panthers broadcast booth? Well, the easy answer last year would have been Jim Zoki, who's been uh, our longtime broadcaster with the Panthers. He's 
you know, usually one of the guys in the booth. And if he's not, he's always our pre and post guy. But Jim this year started as the radio voice for the East Carolina Pirates. So now he's dealing a lot of weeks with what I dealt with last year. So um, I, I guess in a perfect world, if I couldn't make it, uh, Jim would be there. But I guess in now, uh, you know, with Jim doing the ECU stuff as well, we probably need an option three just to be real safe. Anish Schropp joining us, voice of the Carolina Panthers. All right, let's get into it here. And I want to start with Frank Reich because Frank was with the Colts. We know Frank well, long history with Houston sports, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills during the big comeback game and all of that. But what's it like to be around Frank? Because he seems like a super likable head coach. No doubt. And I'm about to go interview him here in about 45 minutes or so. Even when things aren't going well, he treats you with class and respect. And again, I know everybody should. doesn't always work like that when the team is losing. He answers every question. Uh, I've never really seen him. You know, you never really see him lose his calm. And especially with the way things have gone this first part of the season, I think that's important. So uh, he's been a joy to deal with. He's, again, just a great human being. I'll tell you a story. A couple of weeks ago, we're down in Miami getting ready to play the Dolphins. So 9 a.m. at the team hotel, I head down to the quarterback's room to go do my Sunday morning pregame interview with him. And you know, he's he's grandpa. He's FaceTiming his grandchildren. And, you know, I think sometimes in this business, when you're just watching and you just see these people on TV, it's often this curated version or a version you curate for yourself of these folks and as you know when you're in the building when you're around them you get to see them as people um and i i just would hope that you know our fans and, and fans everywhere you know, when you have a player when you have a coach who uh you know might be in the spotlight when things aren't going too well you remember that component that yes these are people just like you and me and uh the, the, you know there's the same struggle that human beings deal with doesn't matter how high profile you are Anish Schropp joining us, voice of the Carolina Panthers. So we all see the record, Anish, but tell me what the Panthers do well that they need to do more of. What can they sort of hang their hat on and say, we're good at this, and we need to do a whole lot more of it to get these wins that we're looking for? Yeah, the reality right now is, you know, those wins and, and what they do well, you got to search for them. Um, they have done things well at times. The problem has been consistency. And you'll watch games and you'll say, wow, that was a really good opening series or two. They generally script the first 15 plays and then the offense fizzles out. You saw that against Miami when they led the Dolphins 14-0 on the road. Uh, the run game, you know, week one against Atlanta, they were able to run the ball. They ran it well at times against Miami. And then in other games, it's non-existent. Uh, injuries have been a part of it. You know, they're banged up, um, you know, down three, four guys in the secondary right now. Uh, they're starting middle linebacker who, you know, is the longest tenured positional player on this team. He's out for the season. So that's part of it. But uh, to be honest, they have not found consistency in any one area this season. Hmm, that's tough. All right. So Bryce Young, because we know all about him pre-draft Texans where the Panthers going to take Young, where they going to take Stroud, maybe even Richardson, who knows? We knew it was going to be Young after a while in this pre-draft process. And so I think everybody felt like they had a sense of him as a terrific guy, great quarterback at Alabama. What are you seeing so far? 
as a professional quarterback. We've seen some of the good plays. Completion percentage pretty good. What do you see in Anish? He is the least of their concerns. And I know the quarterback often gets the blame when things aren't going well. To me, he is having a normal rookie season. And the way C.J. Stroud has played, I, I think C.J. Stroud is having the type of rookie season that Panthers fans saw a decade ago with Cam Newton. And mm -hmm. that warps your perception of Bryce Young. If you're a Panthers fan, well, hey, why didn't we take this guy? Because he's putting up these eye-popping numbers. The reality is this is a long process. Bryce Young processes well. He's getting better. You can see the progression. Has he made mistakes? Has he had his rookie moments? Absolutely. But this guy is getting better. He's progressing. Uh, they have other issues. They've been down two guards on the offensive line, and he's been under duress quite a bit. They haven't had a consistent running game. And, again, some of that points to the injuries and the shuffling that they've had up front. Outside of Adam Thielen, there has been no consistent playmaker in the receiving game. So given what he's had to deal with in these first six games, I think Bryce Young has acquitted himself pretty good. And I'll tell you this. There is a game coming. I don't know if it'll be this weekend or next weekend. There's a game coming where Bryce Young is going to wow people and folks are going to sit back and go, whoa, okay, now we know why he was the pick. Interesting. All right, what about the running game? I see some carries from LaVisca Chenault, our old buddy with the Jaguars, obviously Chuba Hubbard. Yeah. What are you seeing here? I know Sanders has had some injury issues. Chuba Hubbard's been the best running back on this team through six games, uh, unequivocally. Miles Sanders was the splashy free agent signing, and he's had a couple of costly fumbles. He's had some injuries. He just has not really produced, I think, the way they thought he would. And if Miles Sanders is healthy on Sunday, I would still expect Chuba Hubbard to get at least half the carries. Chuba's earned that much. And LaVisca Chenault is one of these guys who is a playmaker. Get him the ball in space. Find different ways to get him the football. They're using him now almost as the third running back in this hybrid wide receiver running back role. You'll see him in orbit motion a ton. You'll see him catch a lot of these tunnel and bubble screens. He's not going to run a ton of long routes, um, but he'll line up in the backfield and he'll carry the ball. He's a big, physical wrecking ball um, who can get yards after contact and yards before contact. Anish Schropp joining us, voice of the Carolina Panthers. Give me a Panther or two who doesn't get publicity, really, or enough of it, who's doing some things well that you'd like to point out right now, Anish. Yeah, there's a couple. One is Derek Brown on the defensive line. This guy, really, since the start of last year, has been an absolute stud. Uh, he, he's a third-year guy out of Auburn, and he is uh, a guy who's really a game wrecker defensively. He's blown up plays, I think, two or three weeks into the season. He was the Panthers' leading tackler. And, again, this guy plays on the defensive line in a 3-4 front. So Derek Brown is somebody who can wreck a play as soon as it's snapped. He's explosive. Uh, I don't want to compare him to Aaron Donald because there's not another Aaron Donald. But he is disruptive in the way Aaron Donald can disrupt the play right at the point of attack. And then Frankie Louvu at linebacker. Again, this was uh, – a hidden gem they picked up a few years ago from the Jets. They thought he could be a bit player, a special teamer, and he has really come on last year, stepped into a starting role for the first time. And if you look at his numbers, it was right up there with any all-pro, Pro Bowl caliber linebacker. He can rush the passer. He makes plays in space. 
He can play in coverage and pick off passes. He's disruptive too. So you know, those guys with all the injuries that they've had um, have really carried this defense. And then the third guy who you might see on Sunday, we'll find out on Wednesday, you might see on Sunday is J.C. Horn. He was their first-round pick a couple of years ago. When he's healthy, and health has been a big problem with him in his two-plus seasons in the league, he's a lockdown corner who changes the calculus defensively. Yeah, we saw him here a couple of years ago on a Thursday night against the Houston Texans. I remember that. Anish, a couple more for you. Charlotte as a sports town, define it for me. What characterizes Charlotte as a sports town? Oh, that's a great question. You know, the honest answer would probably be thirsty. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Hornets in their 30-plus year existence have never even been to a conference finals, let alone an NBA finals. Panthers have been to two Super Bowls. They have not won a Super Bowl. And they have not had back-to-back seasons with a winning record. And when you have a city of transplants where, let's be honest, nobody's grandfather grew up a Panthers fan, there is a little bit of missionary work to be done by these teams. And you have to find a way not just to – you know, engage fans of other teams that have moved here, but also produce a consistent winner. So you turn them into loyalists and diehards. And it just has not happened yet. We have a soccer team, an MLS team, Charlotte FC. And I was at the game on Saturday. They were playing Inter-Miami. Messi was here. It was as electric as Bank of America Stadium has been. They play in the same building where you'll be Sunday with the Panthers play. Um, and somehow Charlotte FC won the game, punched their ticket into the playoff, and the soccer team has carried a lot of positive momentum this season. But I think this town as a sports town, it's thirsty. They're waiting for a consistent winner. They want it really bad. you got a generation of 35 and younger who are diehards, who did grow up with the Hornets and did grow up with the Panthers, and they're thirsty. And each one more. Syracuse, you went there. I've always said this is like Johns Hopkins for doctors, Harvard Law for lawyers, Syracuse for broadcasters. It's unbelievable. So give me your favorite or two favorites you have who have been to Syracuse, broadcasters that you look up to, admire, you really like their work. Yeah, there's three of them. One, Bob Costas, who I just think is probably the best sportscaster of of our generation. Uh, Ian Eagle was a guy I grew up listening to. He would do the Jets on the radio. I've gotten to know him, especially in these last few years through the NFL circuit. Um, his son's doing an incredible job on the NBC games, uh, mm-hmm. with the Big Ten package. Ian's a guy I've long admired. And then the third guy was uh, Len Berman. Len was the Channel yeah. 4 WNBC local news sportscaster in New York where I grew up. And we would watch him religiously, and he almost became like Uncle Len in our household, 6 p.m. Every weeknight, we were at the TV back before the Internet and Twitter and dot-com. That's how we would catch our local sports news. You're not even old enough to know Len Berman. My gosh, that's amazing. Good stuff. (laughs) Anish, thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you Sunday. Yeah, looking forward to connecting with you, too. Take care. All right, great stuff from the two men who will call the game for their respective organizations, Anish Shroff for the Carolina Panthers, and our own Mark 
Vandermeer. Now, two guys will have a big hand in Sunday, C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryans. We did a little Texans audio jukebox next right here on Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time for a little Texans audio jukebox. And we're going to start with D'Amico Ryans. We're actually here from two people in this segment. D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud. Well, here is D'Amico Ryans talking about what makes C.J. Stroud special. What has he liked about him? Here's what we had to say at his presser today. Why C.J. has success? I think it, it starts with his mental preparation. Right? He's really dedicated to the process of studying, right? making sure he's prepared when he goes into games. And he's also had success because the guys around him have all gelled well together. They play well together. So uh, it just starts with the mental preparation with him, which he's off the charts. One of the guys who has been instrumental for C.J. Stroud is Dalton Schultz. Here's Coach talking about the impact of Dalton for his offense and what he's seen from Dalton this year. Well, Dalton has been great, you know, seeing him, you know, come alive in the passing game and really uh, create some explosive plays for us there. You see the mismatch that he has from the tight end position. Uh, it's the reason why we wanted to get Dalton here, knowing you know how effective he can be in a pass game. So it's great to see him showing up that way and the way he's finishing. So very pleased with Dalton and the things that he's done over the past several weeks, and just encouraged to see him continue to get better. First three games of the year, Dalton Schultz seven catches. The last three, three touchdowns, one in each of the last three games against the Steelers, the Falcons, uh, and then against the New Orleans Saints. He has been. Absolutely fantastic. All right, let's flip it over to the Carolina Panthers and Bryce Young. Obviously, as we talked to Nick earlier, there's a lot of work done on these quarterbacks in the draft, including Carolina's signal caller who went at number one, Bryce Young. Here's what the coach has seen from Bryce thus far in 2023. Where's Bryce? With where, where, what has he improved and where has he gotten better? I think it, you see the same guy from college with Bryce. You see a guy who's uh, very smart. When it comes to going through the progressions, making the proper reads, proper decisions with the football, you see the accuracy jumps off the tape, right? And he's he's very decisive where he goes with the ball when it's zone coverage, man cut really doesn't matter, right? The accuracy, the decision making is really, uh, really great to see. He's done a really good job there. Now, as we started this segment, we started talking about C.J. Stroud and Dalton Schultz. Those two, not going to say one's a you know, the number one wide receiving threat or receiving threat for uh, C.J. Stroud because he's hit all of them. Tank Dell's led team receptions one game. Robert Woods has led team receptions in the game. Nico Collins has led receptions in the game. Dalton Schultz has led receptions in the game. And not the same in Carolina. It has been one go-to guy every single week. And it's a guy who's resurrecting his career. The last two years in Minnesota, 67 and 70 catches respectively. He's got 49 through six games. That's Adam Thielen, the Minnesota man. Here's Coach talking about what makes Thielen tough to cover. If Thielen has had success is because he's, he's a slippery route runner, and they use him all over the field. He'll line at multiple spots, uh, motion him in different areas, and they find a way to get him the ball. Right? And it's whether it's in stack concepts or bunch concepts, they do a good job of moving him around right, where he's not on the line of scrimmage, where guys are able to get hands on him. So he has a lot of uh, free access where he's able to utilize his slippery route running ability, very smart veteran player. 
who you can see him and Bryce, you know, have that connection where Bryce trusts him a lot, goes to him with the ball a lot, and, you know, he's proven that he can make those plays for him, and they made a ton of uh, big explosive plays. There's always a lot of discussion as it pertains to the bye week, and you hear every coach say, hey, we're going to self-scout, we're going to self-scout. And then you come out of there and you go, okay, well, what what'd you learn? And, of course, coach was asked, okay, really, is, is self-scout worthy? I mean, do you get anything out of it? What did you learn about your team that really can be improved upon? Well, coach is a little incredulous to that. He's like, man, we can't improve on a lot. We, we can improve in a lot of areas, a lot of things we can improve on. I think it starts just first down. First of all, we've we got to get better defensively, right, of winning first down. Offensively, we have to be better first down. We had a lot of negative plays, so I would like to see us improve our first down efficiency. Uh, and overall, defensively on third down, we have to find a way to get stops and get off the field as well. So it's a big challenge this week because Carolina's done a really great job over the past four weeks of being a – top team in this league in third down. So we have our hands full there, but I would love to see us improve in those areas. I heard John McClain on earlier this week. I think it was on in the, I think it was on in the loop with Landry and John. I believe that's what it was. And one of the things that he talked about, he said, my first question is going to be, how do you keep up the physicality when you don't get to hitting practice? And then, so John McClain asked that practice, that question uh, today after practice. And I love the question because I think it's very true. And as I hear sometimes press conference questions, I always think about, all right, how would I answer that as a head coach? And look, D'Amico is going to answer it however he's going to answer it. But the first thing I thought about was mindset. You have to establish that mindset. And, well, take a listen. Coach and I are kind of on the same plane on this one. Yeah, with the physical mentality, John, is. You know, you have to – it starts with the mindset, right? And I try to establish that each and every day, whether it's me just showing a clip of – a violent clip of a hit or a violent shed getting off of blocks. It starts with that mindset and continuing to see that picture. Although we can't do it, we can't physically, you know, go as hard and practice now as we are in the season. I think you can – I continuously remind the guys of what it should look like when I see great clips from other teams doing it. Always try to show our guys and highlight that to make sure that – this is the style of football I want to see the Texans play. One of the things we want to see the Texans do well is rush the quarterback. I think we've been looking for that. And in Houston, we've had guys that could get there. Mario Williams could get there. Uh, Connor Barrow was able to get there. Some guy named J.J. Watt, Jadeveon Clowney, Whitney Merciless. You know, we've had a lot of guys that could rush the quarterback and, and come up with sacks. So I think Houston fans really like seeing those sacks. I mean, you know, the Bulls on parade defense. I mean, sacks all over the place. So sacks are fun. But pass rush, pressure, consistent pressure, all that kind of stuff, those are things that you need to have on a defense. So Coach was asked about his thoughts of the pass rush thus far. With our pass rush, I think we can improve just when it comes to the execution of what we're asking guys to do and all the guys collectively, right, four guys rushing as one. I always say that, but it, it takes all four guys being tied in together when we're running our stunts, our games. It's just everybody being on the same page, being dialed in with the proper footwork, being exactly where they're supposed to be. That's when the sacks will come. That's when the pressures will come. So it's us just executing it better, and that will get better as we continue to go throughout the season. One of the things I've often asked about from GMs and head coaches in the building, I've always talked about the information that they're able to get. They can get so much information on players, on units, on teams, on their own team, on just everything you could possibly want. And sometimes it just gets to be too too much. 
you want the right information. And sometimes the right information is right in front of you as you're watching a game. You can look at it and go, I know what we can do against this team. Or, boy, this guy is really good. We need, well, the numbers don't say this. The numbers say that. Well, sometimes the numbers lie. Sometimes they really do. And even though we've come up with all these advanced metrics and all these numbers and all that, sometimes it's all right there for you in black and white as in the game right in front of you. I guess it's in color now, but you get the point. The game sometimes tells you all you need to know. So when coaches asked about how does he use all these advanced analytics and stats and all that kind of stuff, uh, coach had a pretty interesting answer. Take a listen. When it comes to those stats, the deviant, sometimes I don't know what most of that stuff means, right? For me, it's uh, what I'm looking to watch. We watch, we still watch and study the film, right? And schematically, right? What causes this team issues, and we'll try to make sure. It ties in. If it's something that ties in with what we do schematically, we'll try to implement that to cause our opponent as many problems as possible. Right? It's a lot of different numbers out there. You can dial up stats a lot of different ways. Right? But when that ball is kicked off on Sunday, like, are you bringing it physically and are you operating with precision? Offense, defense, special teams, and our 11 guys playing together, that's what truly matters. Amen. All the numbers in the world ain't going to get you there if you're not playing physicality, playing hard all that kind of stuff. Again, process leads you to the proper result. If your process is good and you're playing hard and you're physical and all those kind of things, you're going to end up getting the numbers anyways where you want it to be. Now, speaking of numbers, I know a lot of people have asked about the running game, and in particular the running backs, Devin Singletary and Damian Pierce. Here's Coach talking about the mix of the two going forward. With the running game, I feel like just having a compliment of both backs, I feel like Devin, you know, and – and DP, they did a really good job of getting what they had, right? What was what was available, they took it. They ran the ball hard. They finished the runs. And I think just having that compliment of both guys, it all starts, of course, with the offensive line. I thought they've done a really good job of blocking it. And guys ran the ball hard. They ran the ball well. And we were effective that way. And we have to continue to improve in that run game and as, as much as we can, right? And that's where... We want to see ourselves improve in this next game and moving forward. No question we want to see that from the running game. We want to see it from the entire team. But we want to see the continued progress of one C.J. Stroud. And, well, C.J. went to the mic, and you know exactly what he was going to be asked about. His good friend Bryce Young is on the other side. They were picked one and two in the 2023 draft. So let's get it out of the way. C.J., your thoughts about Bryce and meeting him in this game? Yeah, that's my – oh, shoot. <laughs> uh, that's my brother, man. Uh, somebody I have a lot of respect for. Um, known him since, like, middle school. Um, got really close probably after high school. Um, and always rooting for him. I know he's always rooting for me. So, uh, I don't even think we were friends at the time, but we played each other um, in the seventh grade or the eighth grade, one of the two. And they killed us, like, terribly. Like, uh, he played for the IE Ducks. I played for the – um, Pomona Valley Steelers, um, and they they put it to us. And I remember we played in the rain. He had a really good game. I played terrible, <laughs> so this will be I think our second time playing each other. I believe, um, and we played each other a couple times, seven on seven, um, in high school. Um, so yeah, um, I think that was the first time we met. It's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a blessing um, to just know that we're from the same area. Um, grew up knowing each other, and then our parents know each other. Our moms are really close. Our dads know each other, um, and um, it's cool just to see somebody uh, 
as their journey has gone from high school to college and now into the league. And it's, it's a blessing to have a brother um, like that to go through the same type of struggle, um, the, same, the same type of pressures and things like that. So we, we talk a lot about that stuff um, in the off season and things like that. So it's a blessing um, to have somebody like that in my life. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. We hoop all the time. Uh, Rice is somebody that, like, our because we go with our quarterback trainer. We train with the same people uh, in the off season. So um, our trainers tell us not to guard each other because we, like, get too competitive because uh, it, it gets crazy. He'll get me a day on the day. I'll get him on the next. Uh, so it's very, like, back and forth. So, no, nah, he, he can hoop, though, for sure. One of the things about being successful in this league is you will be pulled in a lot of different directions. You're on busting with the boys. You're on college game day. How do you stay level-headed? I think CJ had a great response to that today. I really don't think about it much. Yeah, I just try to stay even killed on to the next. But it, you have to celebrate those small victories and those those things because I, I do work hard and, and on – um, certain things like that, but it's never on like the front of my mind. Um, actually, Dylan Thompson, um, our um, player development guy, does a really good job of just. Uh, he sends me like scriptures. He sends me like um, certain sermons and, and like little quotes to like always keep you level-headed. So he helped me out a lot with stuff like that. Um, so I try not to think about it too much, but at the same time, be grateful for it. Obviously, the Texans weren't on by this past week, and a lot of us were home watching college football. Well, CJ was in the shoe at his former home watching college football, but he was also asked to be the guest picker on game day, and he did it to rave reviews. Here's his <laughs> sort of measured response as it pertained to being on college game day and being back in Columbus. Uh, it was cool. Um, I had a good time just being back up there in Columbus uh, with some teammates and um, being on set with Kirk and them, and um, I think I was on my first time doing like a, a live um, um, analyzation of like what's going on in those games and trying to analyze those. And I think I tried to do my best um, and um, just try to get some insight on like what it is to be the quarterback of that team going against the other team or whatever. So it was a good time. That's hard to imagine C.J. Stroud having to improve on anything, especially over the first six games of the year, but knowing the player that he is and how he goes about things, you knew that there were going to be some things that he's going to want to improve upon. So let's hear it from him. CJ, what do you want to improve upon? What do you think you can improve upon as you go through these final 11 games of the season? Yeah, um, it's a lot of things to improve on. Um, a lot uh, personally, a lot as a team, a lot as offense, defense, special teams. Uh, offensively, we want to get better in red zone and third down. Uh, getting better at that all around. Um, and even sometimes even working on getting be, being better on third down is not getting to that. Um, and just finishing drives in the red zone. So um, that's definitely at the forefront. And uh, me personally, just um, being better with my eyes and, and, and keep my eyes down the field, not looking at the rush um, and getting through my progressions better, things like that. So um, all things that can be fixed, which is a good thing. Um, and like you said, just want to keep that momentum rolling and keep that swagger that we're playing with. Um, so those are one, some things that we want to keep as well. Excellent stuff from two of our favorite people, D'Amico Ryans, head football coach of your Houston Texans, and C.J. Stroud, Texans starting quarterback. All right, we get back. Let's talk a little in the lab, my man, Drew Doherty, and close it down right here on Texans All Access. That's next. We got one final segment this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and one half of the In the Lab podcast crew that's killing it, myself and Drew Doherty. We sat down and chopped it up about 
Oh, a number of different things, including our under-the-radar player to watch, not only for the Panthers game, for the rest of the season. Let's go in the lab right here. It's time, friends. That's right. Me, Drew, John, good to see you. Here's what we're going to do on the podcast today. We are going to play the game Whitey. Whoa, what are you talking about, Drew? What is that? Well, Whitey stands, it's W-I-I-T-Y, which stands for what if I told you? Oh, so, yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to play Whitey. Yeah, I've been and, going there for a little while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I saw or witty, but it's like there's two eyes. You need two eyes, yeah. two T's instead of two eyes for witty. But nonetheless, what if I told you? And then we're also going to have an under the radar Texan to watch against the Panthers. And then we're going to spin the wheel and we might have something fun. We might not. But we're definitely playing Whitey and under the radar. And so let's start there. John, what if I told you before this season started the following things? What if I told you the Texans would lose their first two games, both by double digits and by a combined Mm -hmm. score of 56 to 29? What if I also told you that when they play the Jaguars, they were going to give up 404 yards of total offense? What if I told you that Damian Pierce through six games was going to average 2.9 yards per carry and the offense as a whole was only going to average 3.2 yards a carry? And John, to cap things off, what if I told you that in six games, this newfangled defense would have just nine sacks? How confident would you be about this Texan season and the record? Hmm. What? Oh, jeez. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the the sack one. I I, I don't know. I I don't lose a lot of sleep over not getting sacks for some reason. I, I just don't. I, I'd like to know the pressure rate. And I think the pressure rate has been pretty good. Um. The the lack of a running game would have been worrisome for me. I would have I would have thought, oh boy, this is not trending in a in a good direction. Now I also would have noticed that all those things you told me had nothing to do with C.J. Stroud. So I would wonder at that point, okay, what has C.J. been doing? How has he been progressing? And I think we all know that C.J. is definitely progressing and progressing in a a positive manner. And by the way, Drew, I don't know. I know you were busy over the weekend. So I don't know if you got to see any kind of snippets or highlights of C.J. doing uh, college game. He was was phenomenally good. I mean, he was really, really good. I, I was just like, wow, this guy. Unsurprisingly, wow. Unsurprisingly. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Uh, I think the only thing that was surprising was how good and even some of the things that he went into. It was, I just, I'm fascinated by by CJ and what he's done and how he's become an ambassador of the city of H-Town. And I loved how Ohio State players uh, responded to him when he was back. I mean, they were they were just so glad to see him. And I think that's that says something. Um, but I think if you would have given me those particular, what if I had told you, I would have then asked, okay, what are we doing in third on third downs? What are we doing in the red zone? And what's our turnover margin? And mm-hmm. I stress the turnover margin because that's something I know that you track and you track uh, pretty significantly. I just did a fake email pointing the uh, yeah. pointing the, the glasses up on my nose gesture with <laughs> my hands like I like I always do. Like Coach <laughs> Perez back in uh, the Market Solid High School. Listen, listen, um, the, that I would have asked, I would have asked, okay, what's the turnover margin? 
It's well, plus six. After this weekend, it's plus six, and that's what, second in the league? Tied for second with about three or four other teams. The Jaguars and Steelers among them. Yeah. Cowboys here's and 49ers, too. Yeah. Here's the thing that stands out, Drew. I went for a Texans matchup um, for Tuesday evening. Mm-hmm. I went and I did the ultimate 11 plays on offense in the first six games, the ultimate 11 plays on defense the first six games. And what struck me was how many different defensive players I mentioned or brought to the forefront. Now it's, you know, offense is a little different because five offensive linemen, you're not really going to make a highlight out of five offensive linemen for the most part, but I did not have one running play featured at all. I did not have Damian Pierce mentioned at all. I had Devin Singletary mentioned once because of a throw that he made a throw that he made, not a run that he made. Yeah. Um, but what it has struck me is you can go through each player defensively and say, hey, tell me something about Kurt Heinrich. Oh, man, he really showed himself in that game against the Steelers, penetrating the backfield. I believe that tackle for a loss in that game. Uh, Khalil Davis, man, forced a fumble uh, against Atlanta. He actually got himself into the uh, ultimate 11 with that. Uh, Graylin Arnold, same thing, fumble against Atlanta. You just name a guy, you know, Jimmy Ward, my God, how many – I mean, what has he meant to this team? Uh, Jalen Petrie all over the place uh, after being hurt in week one, coming back in week four against the Steelers, mixing up with George Pickens, just setting the tone. Steven Nelson, three interceptions. I mean, every single guy you just can rip through and go, that guy's made a key play. That guy's made a big play. Did we think that Blake Cashman was going to have this kind of impact to a point where I don't want this defense to play another game without Blake Cashman? So, it's just been phenomenal in some way, shape, or form, Drew, to watch this defense in particular spread the wealth of big plays. And I think big players have shown up. Yeah, it's not the sacks, but Will Anderson Jr. and John Grenard have been tremendous off the edge, setting the edge against the run um, and, and doing things rushing the quarterback. The sacks will come. The sacks mm-hmm. will come. The better pressure they provide – or, I'm sorry, the better they – the better they are against the run, the more pressure they'll be able to provide. That will lead to more sacks. So you went on first and second down, you earned the right to rush on third down. And that's what this team has got to continue to do going forward. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I, I listed off a bunch of negative things, but you you peeled off some positives that have counterbalanced that. And we talked about CJ. We've talked about him a lot. Another thing yeah. we've seen quite a bit of is – while the run game has struggled, we've seen a lot of explosion in the passing game. Goodness yep. gracious. Touchdown-wise, so far this season, you've got scoring strikes of what? 85 yards from the Beck, you know, kickoff return. That's that's kind of yep. fluky, but you take it. You know, it's there, and you, you're definitely going to take it. And then yep. you've got the touchdown to Dell at Jacksonville. That was a bomb. That was a dagger. That one went mm-hmm. for what, uh, 68 passing yards at the Jags. Nico had the 52-yarder in the fourth quarter of the Pittsburgh game, which just broke that thing wide open. A 23-yarder from Dell, but you've had a lot more. And you look at the yards per reception, Nico Collins, look at what he's doing in that aspect. My goodness. That is just, I mean, he's going for 91 a game, which is pretty remarkable. Um, he's He's just having a big, big season and he's going for 18.9 yards a catch. Tank is right behind him at 17.1. So you're getting explosion. You're getting production out of those guys, and it's been 
just a boon. I mean, you, you think about Will Fuller. You had one of him a few years back, and he was iffy because of injuries so often. But now you've got two guys who are – I don't know how long this keeps up, but you got two guys who are really, really stretching the field, so to speak, and that's a problem for opposing defenses. It's a big, big problem. Yeah, Tank Dell's shot in the arm, basically, uh, that he has given this offense is – I don't think you can make too much of it um, because – and I think, you know, when he went out of the Atlanta game, now obviously they made adjustments in the Saints game because they had some time to prepare, but I think Tank going out of that – there were two or two things that happened, I thought, in that Atlanta game. Number one, the second half pass defense, uh, I think – D'Amico even talked about it with us, and I asked him this. Yeah, I think he would have liked to have been more aggressive. They sat back too much and gave Ritter too much time to throw. Um, that was one thing, but I think the other one was Tank Dell was out. And so Tank backs everybody up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just natural. Um, and if you don't, you're going to get embarrassed. And CJ knows to look for him and uh, can make quick decisions and find him, even if he's not the number one guy. Oh, boy, Tank's going to roll that dude. I'm going to go to him as my second read or third read. He gets the ball to Tank. There's no question. Jacksonville just blew coverages. They just screwed it all up. Uh, and and they were able to take advantage. Um, and obviously, once Tank catches the football, then the fun really begins, to be honest. So getting Tank back healthy, which hopefully is the case for the Panthers off the concussion against the Falcons, um, hopefully that's uh, that's going to happen because he changes things. But mm -hmm. I think one of the bigger things for Nico, and he's talked about it. I've heard D'Amico and Nick both talk about that with us. They really emphasized to him once Bobby Slowick and, and the coaching staff got here and Ben McDaniel's wide receiver coach, hey, you can be really good after the catch. You have to catch this ball and turn up field and become a running back. Forget this falling down stuff or tripping over something. No, you turn around and you become a running back and you're going to be really hard to stop. I think those those plays you talk about, sure, there have been some some down-the-field throws, there's no doubt. But Nico has also taken a 15-yard catch and turned it into a 42-yard play. Yeah, And that's something that I don't know that everybody or anybody saw coming, to be honest. And if he continues that with Tank's ability to get on the field, this can be a really difficult, difficult offense to stop in due time. You bet. Time now for an under-the-radar Texan to watch. Going to Carolina, going to Charlotte, taking on the Panthers. I'm taking the lead on this one. I'm going to go first. Okay. Under the radar, keep your peepers on Devin Singletary. I think they really, with all the self-scouting that's gone on over the last week mm -hmm. or so, I think they're really going to get Damian Pierce going. And I think a yep. way that happens is by having the complement of Devin Singletary in there to pick up some yardage. I could see him. I could see Damian doing a lot of the work on a certain series. And then Devin Singletary coming in as the vulture touchdown, you know, and then, you know, getting <laughs> yeah. a nice run there to kind of spoil fantasy folks uh, dreams. Yeah, yeah. But I of think course. Devin Singletary is an absolute weapon. And I, I look for him to do some nice things, not just in this game, but throughout the, the second course of the season, the second chunk of the season after the bye. who's yours. Well, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I feel like you went pretty far under the radar. So I'm going to give you one that I'm going to go even further under the radar. Dylan Horton. Yeah. Okay. The reason I say Dylan Horton is rookie I think, defensive lineman from TCU because it's not. A I think there are a couple there. things that are going to feed into this. Number one, John Grenard and Will Anderson played a lot of snaps. I think that's something they're going to find out, especially in the second half. 
Jerry Hughes, I think, is on the right trajectory. I think they've got Jerry somewhere between 20 to 25 plays a game, and it's paying off for Jerry. I think it's that's the right thing to do. But I think that Dylan is going to see a little bit more time to help spell John and also Will. He is long. He is violent. He does things that you want a defensive end position. Furthermore, I do think that the Texans are going to get a little bit more uh, opportunity, a few more opportunities on third and long to rush the quarterback. And when they do, I think they'll go to some sort of three defensive end look with Dylan Horton kind of being the Charles Amenahu, like D'Amico had in San Francisco, where they would take Amenahu and they would put him inside. And then they would have three defensive ends around Amenahu. So it looks like a four defensive end alignment, but it depends on how you classify Amenahu. Like, okay, is it four defensive ends? Is it three in the tight? It doesn't matter. It's four guys that can win up front that can get to a quarterback. But you have to get teams in third and 11, third and 12, and now you can start to get exotic. A lot of times, D'Amico doesn't like to leave. He doesn't like to leave four guys out there without one of them being a true defensive tackle. And the fact that he's got Rankins and he's got Malik, um, he's got Heinrich, he's got Khalil, those guys can all rush the quarterback and do a pretty good job. But I think once they get into third and longer, I think there's going to be opportunities to put all four defensive ends out there with Dylan Horton going inside. So that's going to give him more opportunity. I just think he's going to get more chance to play. I think he is an excellent football player. He's shown it, covered the fumble in Atlanta. He's made some pretty big plays. You know, he he would have got a, a big holding call against Baltimore, just wasn't called. He's had spots where you go, hey, Dylan Horton, okay. I think now in the second half of the season, as teams start to adapt to Grenard and Will, now all of a sudden here comes Dylan Horton, and he's giving you good snaps both inside and outside. So I think Dylan Horton, he's going to be a guy that I keep an eye on, and he's going to be my under, under, under the radar player for this week against the Panthers and probably for the rest of the season. Well, if that happens, I mean, this is already a Bafo draft class yep. by Nick Casario. You you layer that guy in if he does what you think he might be able to do uh, and, and, right. and, and accomplish the rest of the way. I mean, this Ooh. is just a grand slam. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep, awesome. absolutely. And who doesn't like a grand slam? Weirdos, that's yeah. who. Um, yeah, weirdos, yeah. Astros fans like me when it's a Rangers, and you're an Astros fan too. Yeah, I it's guess. A Rangers I hop, I hop does, I hop doesn't like grand slams because those are Denny's. So. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I hop, Rudy Tooty, fresh and free type. Um, right. Exactly. Well, I was up in your ne- old neck of the woods, your old stomping grounds. Mm-hmm. Over the bye week, yeah. I went to Maine. Now, mm-hmm. I say your neck of the woods, still kind of far away, but it's up yeah, yeah. New England. You went to college in Rhode Island. I did, but yeah. That was fun, man. I had a good time. If you ever go to Maine in the fall, I highly recommend. My wife and I saw yeah. some colorful trees. Saw yeah, the I was going to say, the foliage is gorgeous, man. So nice. And you so, naively – So nice. You naively asked me on Monday at lunch, said, Hey, did you did you eat any chowder? And I responded with, Well, if you cut me open right now, I'd bleed chowder because we had chowder just about every meal. So did you? How many bowls yeah, would oh, you yeah, say you yeah. had? Seven, probably. <laughs> probably. I mean, just about every meal, you know, like yeah. uh aside from breakfast, you know, but pretty yeah. much every other meal we had a, a soup of some sort. It was good. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you pretty much have to. It's like when when we went to London, we got there on a Thursday and we left Sunday afternoon. I think I had fish and chips four times. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, you just 
You just do what you do what you have to do. I mean, when I'm in New Orleans, I have beignets at least two or three times, no matter how many days we're there. I will find beignets. So, yeah, you got to have the local flavor for, for sure. And when you're up there, the chowder, the lobster rolls. If I have a lunch of chowder and lobster roll. You're set, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'm set. I mean, every day, every day of the year. And what's great is lobster so cheap. I remember my when I was in college, it was $2.99 a pound. And so my buddy would go to Maine. He would get lobster. He'd come back. He'd make lobster ravioli for us. I was like, that's pretty good, dude. I got to learn how to make this. Two ninety nine yeah. a pound for lobster, which it's that's not wild. now. But, but yeah, back in the back in the day, it's just, it just was so easy to get to and get to Maine and, and do all that. So, yeah, it was good. It was good. Now I'm, now I'm hungry, Drew. Dang it. Sorry, Bruce. Dang it. Sorry. No, it's all, right. it's all, right. all right. Well, it's always fun talking with you, my man. And we will do this again next week on In the Lab. So long. And we say so long for tonight's show. A big thanks to Drew, to DP, to Mark, to Anish Shroff, to Nick Casario, Dweeka Ryan, CJ Stroud, Jimmy Ward, and all of you for listening. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.